0: Hello and welcome to episode 190 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with Jason Urbinowitz. And we've got a long episode today. We do, we do. We're, long we're, in, we're content, long in content. Don't know about duration yeah. just yet. Yes. We're backfilling some of the things that happened. 2 weeks ago during the week that we recorded the episode with last week's show with with John Ostrower which I hope you've listened to by now and if you haven't go do that cuz it's a really good one and we've also got a lot of stuff that happened in the intervening week as well so we're going to talk about all of that just to mention last week's show briefly we talked about the future of Boeing and their future specifically in the commercial aviation market and one of the things that we talked about is what's what are they going to do next? What airplane are they going to build? And we had a number of people comment that they should just build the 757 again.
1: Oh, okay. That's uh, one way to and that go comes about it.
0: Up, it comes up every time we talk about this because A, it's a great airplane and people love it. But B, Boeing stopped building it when they probably – perhaps could have continued building it for a while, but it's not coming back. The 757 is not coming back. That's done. Please stop suggesting it as a solution. Please don't email us. Please don't tweet us. Please don't, what is the new one? Toot us. Don't whatever. It's done. 757 is not coming back. It's done. It's not possible. They're not bringing it back. It's done. Done. Okay, now we know how you feel on that topic. It's not how I feel. It's not. It's not how I feel. I feel like they should bring it back. But I in the disagree. Realm of all things but, uh, that are possible. Yeah, it's not going to happen. In the realm of all things that are possible, it's just not going to happen. I, I would love to see a seven fifty seven with GE ninety engines strapped to it. Why not? Sure. Why not? Why not? But these things just aren't going to happen. So anyway, stop asking. That's done. We're going on. So this weekend at the Wings Over Dallas Air Show, a P-63 King Cobra collided with a B-17. All six crew members of both aircraft, the single crew member in the King Cobra and five crew members in the B-17 were killed. The NTSB is investigating. We didn't have a good track of either aircraft for that particular flight. So there's no ADSB data to, to go into into any of this discussion today. But suffice it to say that um, it's a terrible tragedy and the NTSB is on the scene and has been. They've been collecting physical evidence. They've been interviewing participants. They've got tons and tons and tons of photos and videos from people who were there. Unfortunately, neither of the aircraft had recorders, data recorders, so that makes things a little bit more difficult. But there were some recording devices on board at least the B17 and those have been sent to to the NTSB lab in Washington not necessarily a crash protected recorder but other recording devices GPS devices so hopefully all of that will help and aid in the uh, investigation process. The NTSB has said that between four and six weeks, the preliminary report will come out. And then obviously the final report takes much longer, between 12 and 18 months from now. So our thoughts with, with everyone who is involved and the families involved in, in that crash and, and hoping for a, a very clear report from the NTSB so we can learn more about it and, and make sure it never happens again.
1: Yeah. Not much else to say right now other than that it was Tragic, and yeah, that's really all we have to say right now,
0: yeah, so we'll we'll keep a close eye on this one for sure, because this isn't the first incident with historic aircraft, and there is certainly some discussion both in the historic aviation community as well as the airshow community, and they often overlap very, very closely about these types of flights, so it'll be interesting to see how the conversation develops. Around these types of displays and and what, if any, modifications to to air shows and, and historic flying displays the, these groups make kind of in the wake of this crash, and possibly what the report says regarding this particular crash. So we'll wait and, and see more from the NTSB. Also, this incident happened two weeks ago during the week that we recorded last week's episode, where we focused just on the Boeing and kind of left the week's news where it was. But we'll talk about this now. A Precision Air ATR 42 completed its flight and didn't quite stop where it was supposed to and ended up in Lake Victoria. And this was unfortunately, kind of details are are still unclear exactly what happened, but we're still awaiting a report on that one as well and I'm not sure when we'll have an interim report on that particular crash.
1: Yeah. Another flight also without any uh, ADS-B tracking data to go on to at least get a clue of what may have happened. But apparently, the weather was not great. They overran. They ended up in the lake. And unfortunately, there were casualties on this flight. Usually, typically when you, you see runway overruns or something like that of this nature, there isn't really a question of if everyone survived. But in this case, Unfortunately that was not the correct not the outcome this time but it was someone did raise the question to me on Twitter of whether this being a high wing aircraft made any difference to the survivability since if it's a you know a low wing aircraft like your 737 or a A320 your the wings are are kind of mid fuselage and you're I think they're designed to float so that you exit the aircraft onto the wings but on the high wing aircraft it looked like uh that really wasn't what was going on there? That most of the aircraft was submerged. So I'm very interested to see what the appropriate investigation reports really return on that topic. I'm I'm, I'm interested to see what they say.
0: Yeah, that'll be. Int- I, you know what? I I don't know the answer to that question, but that's an interesting question to raise. And hopefully, the report will will address that. And speaking of reports, the final report. Issue on the Sriwijaya Air Flight One Eight Two, the seven three seven five hundred, which crashed in Indonesia a few years ago. That final report is now out. The final report lays the probable cause of the accident, kind of very clearly, on the malfunctioning auto throttle system and the crew's inability to properly recognize and react to what was happening so the auto throttle was uh, this is what gets me this was a known issue on this particular aircraft since 2013
1: yeah an, an issue on and this particular aircraft just, that this captain had had experience with and knew this was an issue and had dealt with
0: previously and i don't mean on this aircraft as in the type of aircraft this specific uh, this 737500 737500 so they, for whatever reason, on this particular flight, and the report, unfortunately, doesn't really get into as much detail as the investigators wanted to, because the microphone for the captain's voice recorder wasn't – where it was inoperative for, for some reason. So, there, there's kind of a, a one-sided conversation with the first officer, and where you kind of only hear half the half the conversation. But – for whatever reason the crew just didn't recognize what was happening quickly enough and then apply the correct procedures to to perform the upset recovery and the aircraft rolled over basically and then ended up crashing we'll put a link to the full final report in the show notes if you want to take a look at that and as well as the ADS-B data that we had from the time of the crash but you know a really unfortunate situation but also one where you think you know you think they've they've had nearly ten years to fix this particular particular auto? You, you think that would have been fixed by now?
1: So yeah, it's unfortunate that this mechanical issue had stemmed so long on on this aircraft, but it's not particularly unusual for. A specific aircraft at a specific airline to have kind of a a stigma or be known to have a, a sticky mechanical issue that just can't get sorted out. So it's not unusual that there'd be a reoccurring issue on a particular airframe, but this one just seems particularly. Not great that the auto throttle wouldn't work for so, or wouldn't work properly for so many years. That's more, I'd say, unusual than the regular things you would see, of like the APU doesn't work or is unreliable or, or something along those lines. So this is just a really long streak to have something as critical as the auto throttle be not functional for.
0: Yeah, and so we'll leave it there with a report available to to peruse, and we'll continue to work our way through it and see if there's anything that else that that jumps out and revisit it if necessary. Let's move on to some future news, because as with all good investment opportunities, this one may or may not pay off in the future. But United Airlines Ventures, which is kind of the, um, hey, we're hoping this works arm of United Airlines, is investing, quote, as much as 37.5 million into next which is a Houston based company that is working on developing sustainable aviation fuel the strategic investment is in uh, basically a refinery in Oregon which is going to produce these sustainable aviation fuels the refinery will have the capability of producing could produce up to 50,000 barrels per day of sustainable aviation fuel, renewable diesel, and other renewable fuels. So It won't even just be all sustainable aviation fuel for United. An interesting continuance of cover all the bases and see what shakes out as the technology matures, I think, with the value of the announcement and the kind of couched language because the total investment will only be as long quote as long as the company meets certain milestone targets unquote so it's like all of the other oh all, all this stuff with like the EV tolls where if it meets these right. unspecified
1: safety right. and operational requirements and they're spending up to thirty seven and a half million dollars I tonight could spend up to thirty seven and a half million dollars on dinner I'm not it's going to be more like ten dollars <laughs> but there's a lot of question marks here and. Uh, I guess United is putting their ducks in a row, but I can't kick it out of my mind at the same time, how much of this potential 35% of United's fuel usage is going to be consumed all by boom supersonic aircraft that United may or may not ever operate. It's still just a lot of questions.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm discounting boom as it exists, which is to say that it doesn't. And so, like we we can talk about that ad nauseum. It, it's great to you know kind of argue about this and, and whatever. But I'm not going to you know I'm not going to get upset until they start flying. Then I'll be upset because I think it's a dumb idea. But that's besides the point. What I want to talk about here is that they're going to invest a bunch of money. They are investing a bunch of money, up to thirty-seven and a half million dollars. The refinery will be capable of say fifty thousand barrels a day at full capacity. Great. At full capacity, it could produce things other than sustainable aviation fuel. But let's say that 50,000 barrels a day of sustainable aviation fuel and United buys all of it using last year's figures, which are depressed because of the ongoing recovery from the super depressed figures from 2020 when the pandemic hit and 2021 during the recovery. So, how many gallons of fuel did United Airlines use? In 2021. Jason. If I
1: had to guess, I would say two billion one hundred eighty-five million five hundred fifty-eight thousand gallons of fuel. That's just a rough back of the napkin estimate,
0: though. That you 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 did that one in your head. I did. Okay, so that's the right number. Wrote- I wrote this down in the show notes, didn't I? You did. Ah, okay. There you go. I was, I was seriously trying to figure out like how you got that number so quickly yep, and the it, exact it, right number. The and exact right number, it's right there. Around. And I, I, I think down what, down what, down what down. you're
1: leading to here is that that is only 35% of the 50,000 barrels is a day is about 35% of United's overall fuel usage. So even if this refinery churns out 100% capacity, only sustainable aviation fuel all day, every day, nonstop, it only scratches, maybe not scratches the surface, but it doesn't even cover-
0: half. It's a full third of their of their daily usage. So, okay, great. But that leads us to our next point. The manager of renewable aviation at Nest, which is also a sustainable aviation fuel producer, said today speaking at the Skift Live event, "Quote, we need policies to help sustainable aviation fuels become more economically affordable and we need support to help customers in the industry understand that we have a solution." So two things here. One, the I want to separate the first clause that we need policies to help sustainable fuels become more economically affordable. Basically, we need tax credits. We to need buy subsidies. Fuel. We need government We need subsidies or tax support. Everyone
1: credits. has every airline has pretty much been saying that we need government support to make this happen. This is not a unique statement, but it is definitely true.
0: Yeah. The second half is what I found. Kind of even more interesting because no one is arguing that government doesn't have a role to play here. I don't think. But the interesting thing to me here is we need support to help customers and the industry understand that we have a solution. So
1: it's about to at unpack. This point, actually. Well, yeah, but
0: I, I don't know what she's trying to say because at this point, isn't the industry kind of on board? Like, hasn't the industry said, okay, SAF, everything's SAF. We'll do SAF everything? You know, like SAF is the answer, the end all be all answer of everything at this point. Yeah, even though obviously it's I, not. So I'm not sure what what she means by this.
1: I, I do understand this one because this hits home in, in my okay, day please job explain. In, in, in communication to passengers. So when you're flight shopping, you're on, let's say, a, a large online travel agency with a, a yellow corporate color. Uh, you're looking at flights. You're not seeing that. The first five flights are operating on one hundred on zero percent SAS while the sixth flight on the list is operating on thirty percent SAF or something like that there's no real transparency to say book Airline X because they operate. Thirty-five percent of their fuel usage on SAF, while airline B operates two percent on SAFs, or something like that. There are okay, okay. some efforts, like Google has their little CO two emission calculator in the in the uh, flight results, which I think is just not not great. It, it is often inaccurate, and just I don't like the concept of it because what the hell is. You know, 50,000 pounds of CO2 per flight per passenger. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that information. But I do understand that there's a need to communicate to flight shoppers and people at large that sustainable aviation fuel is a thing. And even harder is where can you find the thing? How do you know how to book a flight that has it? And the industry does not have that answer because it's really unknowable at this point, even to people inside the industry who do with this stuff like me. Deal with this kind of stuff like myself. You just don't know what flights are using SAF or, or what aren't it because it depends on the airline, the aircraft, the time of day, the the route, any number of things. It's not tenable right now, basically. And I, I'm not convinced that this is actually a solution. This is a stopgap, and I think it should be noted as such that SAFs is not the end game. This is an interim solution until there is actually a better form of propulsion that's more green, but I do understand the need to try to help customers understand what SAFs is and how they can find it, which right now is pretty much they can't.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Then thank you. You're welcome. That was that was very helpful. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> I'm not saying
1: and- the answers. I'm just saying it's really impossible no, to know if a flight yeah, no, is powered by
0: SAF or not. No, I, that I completely agree with. Let's talk about money. So at the beginning of the pandemic, people had booked a bunch of flights, and then the world shut down, and you couldn't go anywhere, and people said, I want my money back. And a whole bunch of airlines said, nah, we're going to keep it. (laughs) And finally, 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 the US Department of Transportation has come down on some airlines, and said, All right, that's enough of that. You owe these people money. And by the way, we're going to fine you a bunch of money for trying to pull this off. So, this is a, a fun one Frontier Airlines, Air India, Tap Air Portugal, Aero Mexico, LL, and Avianca they have to pay a total of 600 million dollars in refunds and they have to pay penalties which are nowhere near 600 million dollars i mean the penalties due to the government are in the let's see 750,000 to 2.2 2 million range so the penalties aren't really that large in the grand scheme of things the refunds are pretty big frontier owes passengers two hundred and twenty two million Air india owes passengers one hundred and twenty one point five million tap owes hundred and twenty six point five aero mexico owes thirteen point six million ll owes flyers sixty one point nine million and avianca owes seventy six point eight million that's a a lot of money especially as you know as far as Some of the customers are concerned. It's been a long time.
1: Yes. I'm happy to see them call out Frontier specifically because they pulled a lot of shenanigans along with Spirit to, I think, a lesser degree. But Frontier pulled a lot of shenanigans like, oh, your flight's not canceled. It's just moved four days from now and you can't get a refund because it's not actually canceled. Or I think Spirit and Frontier both did this where if you canceled your flight for a credit in March 2020, that credit would have an expiration date of something ridiculous like 60 days, which is basically telling the airlines telling you to go pound sand because you know you can't use that credit in the amount of time it would expire. And in Most airlines extended credits for years at this point, but they were very, very steadfast in saying, we're not going to extend these credits. You have 60 days to use it or we'll lose it. And I am happy to see Frontier take a, a large hit on this. They deserve every penny of the fine they're going to
0: have to pay. Yeah. Frontier had – in March of 2020, Frontier changed their definition of significant schedule change, which would allow a passenger to get their money back. It used to be if the flight changed plus or minus three hours, which at the time was hours, fairly it, typical. Yeah, you could get your money back. But then Frontier changed it to as long as it left on the same day, they weren't significantly delayed. Yeah, no, that's
1: ridiculous. So if Originally, your flight was, let's say, a 10 PM departure and suddenly became a 6 AM departure. Yep. Too bad. Deal with it. Cancel and maybe take the voucher that's good for 60 days or, or walk away from it and that's that's just wrong.
0: Yeah. So over $600 million back right. in uh, customer's pockets. So well, it, it's always, always m- a fun experience. It's
1: 600 million that they didn't have to spend buying Spirit. So they've got the cash
0: there <laughs> not just from frontier but yeah the cash is there and then the other side of the dot story last week that we didn't talk about is the department of transportation is saying to us airlines please 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 fly a little bit further over the water please
1: Yes. uh, Specifically, what I mean is uh, the routes (laughs) between uh, Florida and the the, the U.S. East Coast. Um, We don't really need to talk more about how the, the air traffic around Florida has been an absolute nightmare over the last year between longer than usual harsh weather, more intense harsh weather. Uh, seemingly endless stream of rocket launches, and the Jacksonville ATC Center never having enough staff. At this point, the DOT is asking airlines that if they have the capability to do so to please route flights. Overwater routes, so they're not ETOPS flights, but I, I think they're they're overwater routes. But the problem with that is airlines have to have the actual equipment to do that. You can't take any old aircraft and operate it out over the Atlantic, even if it's not really an ETOPS flight. These flights need to have life vests, and they have to have rafts, and they have to have special other equipment on board to be able to do that. So it's going to take some work for the airlines to really prioritize putting those aircraft on the routes that they could be properly utilized. Because I don't know about you, Ian, but I've been on those over water aircraft that don't ever fly over any body of water larger than a puddle many times. But I think this is more of an ask than just pretty please help us ease the congestion and, and go out over the Atlantic a little bit.
0: This is definitely a uh, help us help you situation here.
1: Then it makes sense. I, I, I respect that. I mean, yeah, ask. yeah.
0: I mean, the worst they can say is no and still be delayed. I mean, yep. that's <laughs> – There you go. So yeah, hopefully a few airlines can can take advantage of that and ease everybody's minds a little bit. Okay, we are going to stop normal podcast recording right now. And Jason, we're going to play a game. We've never done that we, before. What is that? We've never mean? done that before. We're going to play a game, and it's going to be a preview of what we do in future episodes. I want to make this a normal thing, and I want people to come on. To the podcast, and I want them to play for FlightRadar24 prizes. Might be FlightRadar24 stuff, might be stuff that we get from elsewhere that's aviation related. But we'll start with some FlightRadar24 stuff. But if you want to come on starting next week, next week's episode of the podcast, and play a little game with us: airline trivia, aviation trivia, airline codes, airport codes, fun nuggets of of airplane history, all that fun stuff. We'll, we'll mix and match as we go along and play a quick game. If you want to play. Email us at podcast at f and say, I want to play the game. And we'll do some random assortments to get people to play, and you could win a fun prize. So, Jason, for today, I'm going to give you the airline ICAO call sign. Oh, God. Okay. Um, so, the three letter call sign, and you're going to give me the airline name. Okay. Um, and to and, my benefit
1: and, here, we are going into this having not rehearsed, this, not even told me we're doing this, nor telling no, me what okay. the game is. So this is truly yes. an alpha test.
0: So yes, this is am this I is allowed to Jason? Cheat? I mean, I would prefer if you didn't. Okay. 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 All right. So I did not pick, I don't think, terribly hard ones, and I will give hints. Okay. Okay. So for instance, if I said UAL, you would say United Airlines. I would.
1: Wait, call. Are we doing the call signs or like the ICAO codes? The, the three,
0: the, the code. Okay, the, I thought the, you said call, call sign, sign, sign.
1: Okay, no, not. not I thought the, you meant the... like
0: springbok or or no, no, like no no, no 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 speedbird because those are cooler. Not for this part of the game. Okay, all right. So if I gave you the letters GTI, what airline is that? GTI is that Atlas. That is Atlas.
1: Hey, all right. Hey, good job. One for one. All right, that's the end of the game. Uh, I'm a winner, 100%.
0: (laughs) Okay, here's one.
1: BGA. BGA. BIM in Bangladesh? No. Oh, BGA, BGA.
0: They're a very small airline. They only operate, I think, at this point, seven aircraft of two different types, and they're all very uh, aquatically named. Aquatically named? What in the Mm – Aquatically named? uh,
1: What airline – Very
0: special aircraft. Very very
1: special aircraft. BGA. Uh, BGA. Uh, I was thinking Ken Boric Air for some reason, but they don't have a small fleet. They have a lot of little planes, I think. Uh, No, these are, are just a few very big planes. Very big planes and they're aquatic? Very big planes, aquatically named. Aquatically named, very big planes. Uh, I I got nothing. I don't know an airline. There are very few airlines that actually name their aircraft, but I don't know of ones that name them after aquatic things.
0: They're not, no, they're not named. It's the Beluga fleet, it's Airbus Transport International. Oh, dang. Yeah. That's a good one. OCN.
1: OCN. OCN. I feel like that's what uh, South American airline. Am I in the right continent? Not even close. Ah, OCN. It's a
0: newish airline begun by a not new airline at all. Uh, Norse? Not Norse. Oh, am I on the right you continent might now? Be, if you're on the right continent, you might have to d- try and discover this airline. Ah,
1: Eurowings Discover? You, you, you might there have, it is. You might <laughs> have gotten that one a little too far in the hint.
0: <laughs> I'll take what I can get. Uh, okay. By the way, I,
1: I'm much yeah. better with the two-letter codes. I, I rarely, if okay. ever, deal with the three-letter codes. The two-letter codes are right. right up my alley, though. But let, let's, uh, let's, see, let's go I knew that, you. which is why
0: I went with the three-letter ones. Okay, we're going to switch codes now. We're going to go on to the airports. Okay. So if – this could be either IATA or ICAO, so we're gonna we're gonna mix and match airport codes, and you're gonna tell me the city the airport serves, not necessarily the city in which the airport is located, because sometimes suburbs, you know, and, and all that good fun stuff. So if, so I, if you give me an example, you are, I'd say Newark. You would say you would say that now, and, and yes. New York is incorrect. Exactly. Okay.
1: Here we go. All right. SCL. Uh, SCL. That's Santiago, Chile, right? You are correct, sir. Okay. All right. V H H H V H H H. Is that Hong Kong? It is. Ah, ooh, I, I know that one I because I only just played the uh, Hong Kong Kai Landing Challenge in Flight Sim, the ah. anniversary update. So that's fresh in my mind. All right, N B O. N B O. That's Nairobi, Kenya. Yes, it is.
0: Y S S Y. Y S S
1: Y. Uh is that somewhere in the Oceania region, like Australia? Yes. O oh,
0: mm-hmm. S S Y. Yeah, Y-S-S-Y. Y-S-S-Y. Uh is it Fiji? No. It is not. No. Uh,
1: Sydney. Sydney. Okay. That, mm-hmm. Did not know that one. Last one. G-O-H. G-O-H. Goa India? No.
0: No? Okay. No. Uh. Hint? We've gone about as far from Sydney as we can possibly go. Uh, Newark? (laughs) Oh God, no, it's not Newark, but you're close with the name. Oh. It's Nuke. Nuke? Oh,
1: Greenland. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, we're we're gonna work on this. So, podcast listeners, thank you for being our alpha testers. We're gonna work on uh, some more codes, some more trivia, some more things, and we'll have a game starting next week. Email us podcast at fr 24com if you want to play our new game for fun. Do little, we have music uh, like, like intro music
1: for this game? We need music. We're, or we're something. gonna have to. Yeah. We're gonna
0: have to get music, aren't we? Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Well, well, not too bad not knowing I was going into this, right? I didn't get to do my homework or
1: or anything. So not not too terrible. I had to
0: get you in cold. I had to get you in cold. I was smart and didn't put all of this in the show notes. No, you did not. (laughs) I was like, how does he know that fuel number? (laughs) It all worked out. Okay. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will do orders, unorders, and fleet changes and then we will be done with the show. So stick around. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back. It is now time for the portion of the podcast where we run through a long list of things that airlines and manufacturers and lessors have done with airplanes over the past week. And we begin, well, I should say- over the past Two weeks. Because this goes back a little ways. So Chinese lessors bought- Three hundred C 919s and thirty ARJ twenty ones, which I think tells us all we need to know about the ARJ twenty one.
1: Yeah, and, and to to clarify, these orders did not just happen on a random Tuesday. This happened during China's big now again, I guess again, an international aviation show. So that that's good. I don't remember the, the actual name of the air show. It's like, uh, do you remember what it's called? The uh, Zhuhai. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah. I, uh, so I, yeah. I, I, 300C919s yeah. and also appearing the ARJ21 for some reason they're still producing that aircraft.
0: Yeah. So they are, but China also certified on the heels of the air show China also certified the ATR 42600 which it had been kind of holding off on for a while and the E190E2 is also certified. So two aircraft that compete with now with with domestic Chinese aircraft, conspicuously absent, of course, is the seven three seven max. However, the E one ninety E two is Embraer is marketing it as the answer to China's hot and high problem. Uh, China has a number of airports that are either very high in elevation or very hot, or a combination of both, and their Embraer is saying that the E one ninety E two is. The obvious solution and perfect for kind of those smaller essential air service markets. Positioning the Embraer marketing is very interesting in the context of China because it positions the E one ninety E2 directly in the middle of the ARJ twenty one and the C919 as far as capacity goes, which good marketing. But we'll see how many how many orders they eventually pick up there.
1: Yeah, looking at Wikipedia, which is not the definitive source of truth, there is an order for 10 E195 E2, placed way back in July 2014 for ICBC, which is the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China. Those are apparently still on the books, so we'll we'll see if any airline actually picks those up. Apparently Tianjin Airlines had an Order for 20 E190 E2 is also way back in 2014, the same day. Actually, I wonder if those are related. So it's not like there are a lot of airlines or a lot of outstanding orders for this particular aircraft in China, but maybe this changes that.
0: Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. And then, of course, we continue to await at some point in the future, probably we think the 737 MAX's eventual possible certification. It's a lot of ifs there, maybe. China Southern Airlines retired its A380 fleet. It conducted its last flight from Los Angeles to Guangzhou two weeks ago now, uh, or a week and a half ago now, and they're done with their commercial service. So, the only Chinese airline to operate the A380, they are now no longer operating that particular aircraft. And sticking in the region, Malaysia Airlines has begun sending its A380 fleet into long term storage. The first of six flew off to Tarbus a few days ago. I think beginning of the week, Sunday or Monday, is when it went. And so we see kind of the beginning of the end for for certain A380 fleets, but A380 fleets elsewhere still going quite strong. And an interesting thing that Thai Airways is considering bringing at least a pair of their A380s back. Yeah, sure, though, why not. <laughs> though given the storage conditions that their A380s have seen, I question how much work that would take.
1: Yeah, that that's an airline that was is notorious for being questioned about their fleet decisions of like why do you have A34500s and why do you have A380s? You do not need these aircraft, so I'd be very surprised if they bring the A380s back of of all the random aircraft that never belonged in their fleet.
0: And to round out our A380 coverage, Singapore Airlines is going to wait out the 777-9 orders that it has, the delays with those orders that it has, not with the A380, but with the 777-300ER. So they will not either bring spare capacity from their A380 fleet back in, they will not re-add anything, they will use the 777-300ER, not the A380, until the 777-9 can eventually be delivered from Boeing. One day. So, there you go. New flights that I did not have on my radar include British Airways flying to Cincinnati. Okay. That's an interesting
1: one. Didn't see that one coming. I believe that joins, it was Air, uh, no, Delta flying to Paris, I think, from uh, Cincinnati. That's uh, an interesting one. But what I picked up on here is that BA clarified or touted the number of US cities that they operate to. And this is okay. BA's 27th US destination, which is pretty crazy. Wait, really? Twenty-seven. I could ramble them all off, but it would take too long. But it's uh, the twenty-seventh destination in the U.S. Not even North America, just the U.S. alone.
0: I'm counting like in my head. All. The- what are some of like the the lesser cities?
1: Uh, Austin, Nashville, okay. uh, yeah. Baltimore, Orlando, New Orleans. Phoenix. So, Phoenix so is an odd one. San so so Diego. No, Phoenix is not an odd one for uh, um, international airlines flying there. Yeah, it is. They have. It's, it's a very, huge American, but they have next to no focus. international flights that are not American.
0: Which is why I'm saying I don't think it's that unusual. But but so really, what what it is is it's it's like the seven dash seven eight seven dash
1: eight fleet. That's exactly what is operating this uh, new flight as well. And I did All the math right. on the select a select number of airlines. BA is the most right now at 27. But Lufthansa, if you just look at Lufthansa, they serve 20 US destinations. But the second appearance for Eurowings Discover, if you count Eurowings Discover, which is 4Y by the way, Lufthansa Mm -hmm. Group bounces up to 26 US destinations. So they are right behind them. Okay. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Isn't it? I mean, yeah, that's, that's why I said it. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about JetBlue now. Because for a long time, basically from the time we started this podcast up until what, six, seven months ago when they actually started service, you refused to talk about JetBlue flying internationally. But now that they're finally doing it, can we talk about a future route announcement? Yeah. I mean, they're
1: doing what they said they would do. They're doing
0: exactly what they said they would do.
1: And In this case, they have announced that they will operate from JFK to Paris, uh, De Gaulle, not the other one. So that's exciting with the A321neo L R if Airbus can actually deliver them. They've had delays with uh, those aircraft deliveries. And over this past summer, JetBlue had to operate some of their, I think, Gatwick flights with the non-LR, which is not not great, not terrible, but then they will evaluate this, I guess, and at some point do as they said they would do and launch uh flights from Paris to Paris from Boston as well, which is I think they're a bigger hub for them than than JFK at this point.
0: Well, good on them for doing what they said they were going to do.
1: Yeah. Both of these routes are our bottomless pits of demand at this point, so it can't hurt to have another flight, but I would like to see JetBlue utilize the the 321neo LR to do some more Bespoke routes, I guess, kind of like like what La Compagnie does, where uh, a route that you might, you're going to be able to fill the plane, but there isn't, you know, 40 flights on the route a day. Air France Delta literally calls JFK to Paris a shuttle at this point. They market it as a shuttle, even though it's not hourly or anything like that. This is just a bottomless pit of demand
0: you, for this You route. have multiple options. I, I think I think Seth Miller pulled it and it was what, 15 flights a day or something it's like that. It's a lot. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's, it's a bottomless pit of,
1: of demand. And if JetBlue wants to take a, a 2% chunk of that, so be it. Good for them. Yeah. Why not?
0: Yeah. I mean, let's talk about some cargo stuff. We've got Emirates Sky Cargo with a handful of 777Fs on and this, order. These are- it,
1: in this uh, regard, current. you can you can put five triple seven f's in your hand i guess if if a handful of triple seven f's is what we're talking about, it's five
0: yes, all right then, and these are current triple seven fs these are not the dash eight f's that are coming later these are these are current build for emirates Silkway West on the other hand, wants a pair or two triple seven dash eight f's the up gauged. 777X-based freighter that will be available in a few years. And then, Jason, you flagged this one, and I had honestly forgotten they were an airline, but Skymark placed an order for some 737 MAX. Yeah. Remember Skymark? They're the I, – I don't. I honestly don't. They are the
1: Japanese low-cost airline that partnered with Delta originally. So Delta's whole grand vision for Japan uh, did not go well, but they had – A330s that had green interiors, they were only like premium economy. They didn't even have economy, but that didn't work. So they right sized their fleet. They only have 737s, but now they have placed a a rather complex order for up to 12 MAX, a mix of the Dash 8 and Dash 10. I think only a part of that is like four firm, and then they will take a, a following six dash eights from a lessor, so not directly from Boeing. So at least that's nice, some modest growth from an airline that flew a little too close to the sun then got right-sized rather quickly.
0: And then we've got Azul ordering three A330 900 Neos, and then Republic is cutting its order book by 31. Mm,
1: yeah, we, we don't taking, typically talk about order cancellations like
0: this all too often. It, it's all order, 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 but not cancellations. And it's an interesting number 31 E 175s coming out of the Republic order book.
1: Yeah, there's no question to why they're doing this, of course. They don't have the people to fly these planes, so why would you take them in the first place?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I guess we can talk about that for just a second, in, in the fact that I think it was it was ned russell talking about this a little bit this week and i'll have to go back and find it so for the show notes but talking about how the, the the pilot shortage is really now just a captain shortage who kind of like narrowed it down from pilot shortage to captain shortage and there's been some significant financial incentives this week especially at some of the regional carriers to encourage captains to come work for them six figure salary inducements. So It sounds like the money thing is working. If you pay them, they will come. Yes, but it sounds uh, like the money only, only after working. the
1: requisite amount of training can you backfill whoever you took them from or whatever seat, the right seat, you've removed them from. Yeah. So, uh, it's a bit problematic, but it's a lot easier, I guess, for them to cancel these orders and add them back in the future than unsustainably taking delivery of them and then just immediately parking them in Mojave.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I'd rather they not do that. Okay. So this isn't really an order. Well, I guess they're ordering a whole bunch of stuff, but Ryanair, this one is one of the things that I wanted to talk about last week, but we kind of left it on the on the wayside. Ryanair's adding its split scimitar winglets. Ryanair's adding split scimitar winglets to all of its 737-800s. So that's $200 million that's going to be spent on just over 400 aircraft. So, 800 split scimitar winglets being installed across the Ryanair 737-800 fleet. Increased fuel efficiency all the way around. Yeah.
1: If you did the math on the top of your head right now, that's half a million dollars an aircraft or a quarter of a million dollar a winglet. That's, a, that's an expensive accessory.
0: So, if you're spending 200 million, obviously, the fuel burn improvement will save you more. But it's interesting. I hope, yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I I hope that's the case. It it wouldn't be uh, doing it. No,
1: this is not something that is famously
0: known for wasting
1: money. Yes. No, this is not not something that is an unknown. There are many airlines around the world from Delta and United. I know there are, Copa I think has these on their 73800s. Plenty of airlines have this particular winglet type, and I'm sure the case is more than proven at this point. But coming up with the $200 million To just buy the equipment. I'm sure there is additional cost to actually take an aircraft offline and install it. This is a big investment for an airline that doesn't really do that all that often.
0: Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You know, obviously they've done the math to ensure that it's all going to work out. So, you know, it's interesting to see the airlines saying, "Okay, this is worth it at this point to do this for all the." Aircraft. They didn't even say like we're going to do it for a portion of the fleet. Study it, and uh, there's it. And we're going to do. it. We, we've seen the numbers. We're going to do the whole thing. And good for them to, yeah. to and, you know. Kind of if you're wondering, their, of course,
1: this is only rate. on the the 800s, the NGs, because the Maxes have a, a very similar type of winglet already included from the factory. So the, the any aircraft yeah. they're taking does not need this accessory.
0: And then quickly before we go, Korean Air is doing a rolling grounding of all of its A330s to inspect them following both the runway overrun and an air return that it experienced uh, the following week where it had an engine shutdown in flight. Um, So they're- taking all of the A330s out of service not at the same time but as they complete inspections returning them back into service and they've said that you know we're not even going to bother with some of our oldest A330s we're just going to go ahead and retire those so that's an ongoing process that Korean Air is is completing or perhaps even has completed by now right. that's one way to handle the situation i mean they recognize that there was an issue and are working to Ensure that it's not a fleet wide issue, so good for them,
1: okay. well, that was a lot of stuff, and yet not all that abnormally long an episode
0: no we we must have talked very fast, or it was just a lot of little things to get through because we had to get caught up. It felt yeah, I felt like we left a, a lot of stuff kind of at the wayside last week, but it was an important episode and it needed to be recorded. And I'm very thankful that John Ostar joined us. And if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and check out last week's episode on the the future of Boeing. And if you want to play the game that we should probably come up with a name for, The game. You just said it. The game. Okay. If you want to play the game, email us podcast at fr24.com and let us know. And you could play on the show for some fun Flight Raider 24 or other aviation related prizes. I have to dig into my my bag of prizes that I've been collecting over the years.
1: How about a Korean Air A330? I hear there's uh, some available now.
0: (laughs) And the bag is not that big. Or just emails with whatever you want to talk about, questions but about not the show, bringing uh, back the seven five seven. Stop it! I swear, if anyone emails <laughs> us this week that says <laughs> we want to bring back the seven five seven, I'm holding Jason personally responsible. But what are you going to do? So this has been episode 190 of Av Talk. Thank you all very so much, so very much for listening. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with. Jason Rabinowitz, thanks for listening.